I, I'm like labeling these little sections like Emily says, um, Emily says, um, again, I, Emily <laughs> says, um, again, those are my favorite piles. I'd like to propose a toast. Welcome to Wines and Dolls, a podcast where Chelsea and Emily wine and talk about musicals. Welcome. Wine is a double one time drop. Yeah, because I gave you such shit on your. Anyways, she gave me shit about me. <laughs> you guys sound like me because I say I feel bad because I always have notes for Mikey and Mikey never has notes for me and he's very sweet, but I'm an asshole and I'm like, listen, you can't do this all the time. He always says I agree 100. percent He'll probably I say it. I stopped saying it. For the record, I don't stop saying it because you pointed it out so much. But well, it is because kind of you pointed it out. But I heard myself say it and I was like, that sounds dumb. So I will not say it. I didn't even I, catchphrase. Okay. All right, y'all. We ready? Uh, as ready as I'm going to be. So. We'll this just... is a hell of a show. It's a lot. It's a lot. Are you ready to be confused? <laughs> I certainly am. <laughs> Welcome to Wines and Dolls and Buried Broadway. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have special guests today. Tell us about yourself. Tell us your name and your podcast and what you're all about. All right. Well, hi, guys. Uh, We're the Beverellis, Jen and Mikey. Here I am. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we have a podcast called Buried Broadway, where... We discover, dissect, and demystify forgotten Broadway musicals. That we most likely found on vinyl for a dollar. How long have you guys been recording? Recording the podcast? Yeah. Only a few months. We have been planning the podcasts for years, but we little by little got up the nerve to do it and got up the funds to do it. We bought a new computer, some microphones. Mm-hmm. Ooh, got fancy. Yeah. But as our they- vinyl collection grew and grew, uh, we were like, more people need to know about these shows. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of an outlet for us. Community outreach. <laughs> Community outreach. <laughs> it's like you it. did you did this in the right order the correct order how to create a podcast where Chelsea and I went the opposite direction. (laughs) Hey, I'm drunk. Let's talk about some musicals. Awesome. (laughs) Right. We'll buy $25 mic and hope for the best. (laughs) Yours is very organic. Yes. (laughs) And ours is very like neurotic and overly researched. Oh, I love it. I love all the information in your shows. I think it's so much fun and so freaking informative. Thank you yes. for coming on our podcast well, today. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And you're going to do all the informative stuff for us. <laughs> <laughs> and y'all, I don't think, Jen has not watched Pacific Overtures. You don't know anything about it, right? No. I mean, I okay. know a little bit, but okay. I only listen to it. And I only listen to it like full through like one and a half times. But I did not read the synopsis or anything. So I okay. have no idea what the songs are about. I just right. heard them. Okay. <laughs> Which like, helps you none. So. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Okay. And the show, just so everybody knows what we're doing today, is you want to say it, Em? Atlantic Undertures. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> the one I, thing. I fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> we are covering Pacific Overtures. Yes. Because yes. that is a Sondheim piece. And you'll hear a little bit more about that. But also, I figured it was kind of a buried Broadway Sondheim piece that we could kind of mesh our two 
ideas together. And you guys happen to have this on vinyl. We do. Yeah. I should have had it out. Hey, Emily. Hey, Chelsea. What are you drinking? What am I not drinking today? Oh. I have my Louis... Someone's going to yell at me for saying this wrong. Louis Bolat. Spell it out. Spell it out. (laughs) English is my first language. Um, (laughs) B-O-U-I-L-L-O-T. Rosé. It's probably. It's it's yummy. Yes. It's yummy. It's It's bubbly. I also have tea to cleanse. And then I also have topo because I needed needed everything. Topo. So. All the liquids. <laughs> the liquids. <laughs> so at intermission, I'd be like, bye guys, gotta pee. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Hey, Chelsea. Hey, Emily. What are you drinking? I have been feeling a little poopy the past few days, like sicky. So I have tea in my cat glass and it says every day is a good day when you have a cat, but also oh. there's whiskey in it and a little bit, of, a little bit of honey, a little bit of lemon in here. It's a little hot toddy today. Makes your day mm-hmm. better. It does. And uh, look, I'm going to say it wrong. Everybody hates this. La Croix. <laughs> La Croix. I don't know how to pronounce it. Now, a, I don't even know anymore. There's a different way. I don't know. <laughs> but I've got this um, hibiscus La Croix or whatever, wow. however it's pronounced. It's so good. It's that so sounds good. right. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> hey, Barry Broadway. Barry Broadway. Hi. Hi. What are you drinking? We're both drinking a Pim's cup. Because one thing, well, (laughs) we did make a big picture of picture picture. I I was going. Wait, 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 wait. How long have you been drinking today? Literally this long. Yeah. An inch big on the glass. No, I've also just been tired, but. We were going to drink different drinks, but I realized it would probably be easier for everyone if we just had the same beverage. Mm-hmm. But in the fridge, I did want to bring out, and maybe we'll bring it out later if I so choose. I have a beer that I like to drink called Unicorn Farts. Shut Ooh. up. And it has glitter in it. Shut <laughs> up. What? Because I'm a grown up. <laughs> Where does one acquire these unicorn farts with glitter beer? It's um, Duclaw Brewing Company, which is a Baltimore-based brewing company. Um, and it's it's kind of a limited release, but it came out last year, and they released it again this year. And we should bring out the uh, the can later because it's a fun can. It's real cute. Oh I, I need to have this. I just wrote it down. Oh my god! <laughs> so did okay, I. okay. Like two our things about us: is. we are giant children and also anglophiles. So, yes. Our- <laughs> yes. uh, giant child for the win. Yeah. Hard. Hey. <laughs> Hey, Chelsea. Hey, Emily. What are you whining about? I am whining because we didn't do good enough research when we did Into the Woods, and Brandon was nice enough to correct me. God damn it, Brandon. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Brandon. I appreciate corrections. I do, I do, I do. Um, When we said that we think our opinion is that the princes are not brothers, Oh, no, no, that was wrong. They are apparently brothers. It's a fact in the script? It's a fact in the script. Okay, then it's fine. It's, it's, <laughs> it's true in the script. There is a line that is said, and he told me what it was, and 
give me two seconds and I will pull it up. Anyway, I hate feeling like a dumb dumb, but I will admit when this dumb dumb is wrong. And that's okay. I will also admit when that dumb dumb is wrong. Shut up. Okay. It's, <laughs> uh, he says that one of the lines is, oh, Rapunzel's prince actually says, good brother, what a surprise. And Cinderella's prince, brother, how good to see you. That's and, not definitive though. It Thank could you. just be like brotherly love. Like, right. yeah. Or like they're both princes, so they're in the brotherhood of princedom. Brother from another brother. I say director's choice. (laughs) Yeah, director's choice. But thank you, Brandon, for reaching out. I appreciate you. We were looking for factual stuff in the script, and that is that's a a fact. That's a fact. That is a fact. It's a a theoretical fact, but theoretical fact. (laughs) Director's choice, though. I like that. Gamble with that. Hey, Emily. Hey, Chelsea. What are you whining about? I'm whining that. What am I whining about? I was whining about that Chelsea is apparently more famous than I am. That's fine. <gasps> That's right. I can't remember. Okay, I have to. Chelsea what happened. <laughs> Chelsea happened. went and got her coffee, and people recognized her from the podcast. It's fine. <gasps> Did you get your coffee for free? <laughs> no. Oh wow. <well. laughs> okay. Okay. I feel it's, better. I'm not about famous the yet. <laughs> not famous yet. No, it was another podcaster in Houston, and she recognized my name. And she was like, hey, we're about to reach out to you guys about collaboration. And I'm like, oh, cool. All right. Yeah, I look forward to hearing from you. I'm so excited. Hey, oh, Barry God. Broadway, what are you guys whining about today, if anything? And it could be like a sparkling wine or, or like a wine wine. I'm whining about not having our apartment. But... <laughs> oh. <laughs> Story time. Uh, yeah. It's okay. That's too real. Oh. That's too real. <laughs> <laughs> you should tell them at least what Amen. happened. Um, so, for those who, uh, for those of you who are not aware, uh, the apartment below ours caught fire, and all of our stuff smells like smoke. And we're currently in Jen's parents' house, which <laughs> I'm so thankful for. So maybe that's the sparkling wine of it all. Aww, <laughs> supportive parents. That's sweet. you guys are based in. Washington, right? Yeah, in DC. So, well, my parents are in like Maryland in the suburbs. Ooh, okay. It's really weird. (laughs) Yeah. All right. You guys are going to give us the background to our show, Pacific Overtures, which is one of Sondheim's favorite pieces, I think. It is, yes. It was Sondheim's favorite piece. Actually, I was listening to Musicals of Cheese, and they described it as Sondheim's buried masterpiece. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> I think we have buried Broadway. That is still alive. When, uh, when, when I, uh, I recommended this show to Emily, she's like, I don't know anything about it. I was like, I don't either. I just know it's a buried musical that nobody really talks about. We should find out more about it. Yeah, and surprisingly, I didn't know that much about it either. I knew that it existed. I knew about two songs, but that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I just knew like <laughs> the name of it in like the Rolodex of his stuff, and yeah. that was about all I knew. <laughs> right. And I knew that we owned the vinyl and yep. hadn't listened to it yet. <laughs> I'm excited. Take all us right. to Pacific Overture. All right. So Pacific Overtures had its out-of-town tryouts in Boston at the Schubert Theater from November 8th to 29th, 1975. 
It also had out-of-town tryouts at our very own Kennedy Center Opera House, December 4th through 27th in 1975. We've both seen so many shows there. Like a lot. Yeah. It's like <laughs> our hometown theater. Jealous. It had previews at the Winter Garden Theater on December 31st, 1975, and opened on January 11th, 1976, running for 193 performances until June 27th, 1976. So I fell down a rabbit hole because we haven't done the Winter Garden Theater yet on our show. So I hadn't looked into the history of it. But the theater was originally built by William Vanderbilt, like the Vanderbilt's hoity-toity Vanderbilt, in uh, 1896. But it was originally the American Horse Exchange Building. So like literally there were horses in the building. What? And yeah, really <laughs> they weird. They like, real stalls. Yeah. <laughs> and like the whole area used to be like horses used to walk around Times Square and all that. It's crazy to think about because now it's just us being herded like cattle around yeah. there. It wasn't until 1911 when the Schuberts leased the building. And it's confusing because they definitely own it now, but it says leased and I'm not sure when they bought it. And they hired an architect to convert it into a theater but it was also a movie theater for a little while owned by Warner Brothers. But it's funny to note that in some reviews for when it got turned into a theater, they would call back to, if they didn't like the show, the reviewers would say like, oh, you can still smell the stench of the horses in like, in the review or like, yeah, it's like super rude. So I think that's hilarious. And we don't talk about that now. Mm -hmm. I'm like, the reviewer should still do that and pretend like you can smell like a hundred year old horseman. These horses. So I saw Mamma Mia there. And we both saw School of Rock there. So just to give a little context, we like to see what else was playing at the time while this was open. So The Wiz was on Broadway, the original Broadway cast, in its first of four years, at the end of its first of four years. Shenandoah. A chorus line. Chicago. Trimanisha, which you all probably don't know about. I love, no, I love (gasps) Trimanisha. Really? I'm an Uh, opera girl, man. Guess what? Yes. I was in a production of (laughs) Trimanisha. Shut your buried Broadway (laughs) down. Yes. And, uh, for for those of you who don't know, Trimanisha is Scott Joplin's all black opera. And I am, uh, you are not black. (laughs) No, I am a half Asian, half white man. (laughs) But, um, it was, it was multicultural. That's interesting. Whoa, <laughs> the that name show of it is Nep- Trimanisha. Tree. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll send it to you later. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. I, I'm like I too don't know what it is. I only know it because Mikey did it. That's the only <laughs> reason I know. Also, there was a revival of My Fair Lady. Whoop de doo. <laughs> it got ten Tony nominations and two wins, mostly losing out to a chorus line that won in nine categories. And we'll talk about Sondheim's bitterness about a chorus line a little later. I mean, it was Uh, one singular sensation. I mean, I think so. Truly. But truly. Uh, Chicago was nominated for 12 and won nothing that year. So it was nominated for Best Musical. Best Book of a Musical. Best Original Score. Best Actor in a Musical. Best Featured Actor in a Musical. Best Direction of a Musical. Best Scenic Design, which they won. And Best Costume Design, which they also won. The Scenic Design, that kind of, I don't want to say it. I mean, I'm going to say it does shock me because the way the scenes are, they're very Joseph and the Technicolor, amazing Technicolor dream coat where they're all like, boo, 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 new scene comes in and we're going to layer everything. But they're not necessarily that amazing. Like they're, they're good, but they're not like, woo, 
Ooh. So I don't know. That's interesting. That's kind of um that's kind of kabuki theater is that the the scenes will bloop, they'll change really, really fast. And they'll have people on stage moving it and changing it with you as you go. I guess if you're up against a chorus line, which really doesn't have a set at all, <laughs> you might, <laughs> you know, you might think, oh, well, this is more interesting than that. Like the Roxy <laughs> sign didn't win it for them. Yeah. So we always like to get into the writers a little bit, but we didn't want to do a full deep dive because you guys have been talking about Sondheim all month. So who, 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 who are we who's that I don't, man? I don't, I don't know. Him. I don't know him. That dude. <laughs> One guy. <laughs> I heard today uh, people call him Sondhidium, and I thought that was very interesting. What? They're like, it's a Sondhidium musical. Oh, like so they seriously say that. Yeah, it was on. It's not. Sondheim S. <laughs> they were like Sondhidium. So that's a new word for our that's vocabulary. An adjective. That's I a, hate it. That's a crazy adjective. Thanks. I hate it. Next. Next. <laughs> So yes, Sondheim did write the music and lyrics for this, and he sought out for this show to be an authentic representation of Japanese music and culture, as opposed to the Western treatments of American audiences that American audiences were used to, like The King and I and Madame Butterfly. He wrote the score in the Japanese style of parallel fourths and no leading tone, so it's like really hard to play and sing and kind of to listen to, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) He obviously added harmonies, which are not traditionally Japanese and other Western influences, like different instruments and more instruments that we're used to hearing. But that played into the theme of the show, which we'll learn about later. And Someone in a Tree is his favorite song. So Hal Prince directed and produced this show, like everything else on Broadway, basically, (laughs) ever. He believes that Bowler Hat is one of the most perfect musical theater moments ever written. I honestly agree. I like, I love that that part. John Weidman wrote the book. He's one of Sesame Street's writers. Yay! With Sondheim, he also wrote the book to Assassins and Roadshow, which I like. Without Sondheim, he also wrote the book to Big. You guys, we saw it. It was not good. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that too. (laughs) So Weidman had the idea for writing this play in college. And then when Hal Prince read it, he suggested that Weidman team up with Sondheim to turn it into a musical. And the three took field trips to Japan as research, which is pretty awesome. (laughs) What budget is that coming out of? Hey, Chelsea, you want to take a field trip? massive budget. That's true. That's true. Like, want to take a field trip to Japan? Yes. So... A little bit about the actual show history. The title of the show is drawn from a letter from Admiral Perry to the Japanese emperor for, quote, friendship and commerce, effectively opening Japan. And I won't read the quote that this is attached to because... It's really long and basically just has the first time that Pacific Overtures was ever uttered. <laughs> and it, it's, it's a double meaning because of the phrase. It's an idea that the... Japan is in the Pacific, and overtures is a musical term, but it's also a Pacific over. It's very confusing. I don't even understand what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Glad we kept that in. I 100% agree. I 100% agree. (laughs) So this is Sondheim's least performed show, mostly due to what people are saying are the casting demands of being all Asian and all male for most of the show. And having a huge chorus of women that basically does nothing except for come out and change sets sometimes. So I will note that the 2003 West End and other regional productions uh, that I've known about have used 
uh, white casts in yellow face. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. awkward for everyone involved. Just mm-hmm. don't do it. How about that? Uh, but I also have to note that the show doesn't have to be that large. And it also can be done with women if you don't follow this pseudo traditional kabuki that they're using anyway. Uh, so I don't fully buy this reason for it being all Asian, all male. But that's just me. Before we listen to them, we'd like to talk about the notable people in the cast, just because we like to know who we're listening to. And sometimes we get some fun little tidbits. So... So the first person is Mako. He just goes by Mako. He has a longer name. Uh, Mako Iwamatsu. Mako. <laughs> <laughs> he was born in December 10th, 1933 in Kobe, Japan. He played the rec- rector? Recider. Recider. Rector. <laughs> rector. Yeah, That's- I'm really doing well at words. He <laughs> Rectums. He played the reciter, or he plays, he will play for you when you hear it, the reciter in this show. He's the son of political dissidents and moved to the U.S. under the care of his grandmother. He joined the U.S. military in the 50s and became an American citizen. He discovered theatrical talents during military service and trained at Pasadena Community Playhouse. I don't know if they still do that, like, discovering that you want to do musicals while you're in the army. Yeah. It's a very, like, old idea. So many people, like Frank Lesser just was in a group, and, like, so many writers that we know now started off being in, like, the army theater groups. <laughs> They're like, you're a terrible shot. Go get on the stage. <laughs> Go be an actor. Yeah. <laughs> he tended to book roles that were what you would think of as st- stereotypical Asian roles at the time, like evil wizards and wise men. He was frustrated by this, and he formed the East-West Players in L.A., which is one of the first Asian-American theater companies, and he was the artistic director until 1989. He was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for Sand Pebbles. He voiced Uncle Iroh in Avatar The Last Airbender. I knew it! I knew it! I have that in my notes. I was like, I know that. I know that voice. I love this fact because I'm a huge nerd and I love Law and Order. Jerry Orbach, who we all know and love from oh, Law and Jerry. Order, and also he was in Broadway shows all the time, was Mako's landlord. And when he was nominated for a Tony for Pacific Overtures, Jerry Orbach was also nominated for the same Tony for Best Leading Actor. So How they awkward. Yeah. They <laughs> both raise lost. Your rent. <laughs> they, they both lost to George Rose for his uh, role in The Revival of My Fair Lady. But I love this story. At 4:30 in the morning, we think probably after they were coming home from like the after parties, Jerry Orbach heard Mako probably shuffling around his, his apartment and yelled up through the floorboards, hey, Mako, what the fuck happened? I can't believe it. We lost a fucking revival. <laughs> like, <laughs> but like, I wouldn't, like, I get annoyed when I can hear my neighbors, but I wouldn't mind it if it was Jerry Orbach just screaming like, what the fuck? <laughs> right, right. Why didn't you win? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why didn't either one of us win? We had two shots here. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Another person of note is Mark Sue Sires, who was the original Herod in the Broadway production of Jesus Christ Superstar and the original Magdalene in the Broadway production of Evita. He died in a head-on collision, though, in 1983 in New Jersey. We love to end with uppers. So we actually stopped looking into people at that point because there's just so many people and not enough time. But 
There are two people who were voices on the Disney Mulan, the cartoon version. Yeah. So Soon Tech O voiced Fazu and Ged Watanabe voiced Ling, who's the skinnier soldier. The boy was I fool in school for cutting gym. Yes. The 2004 revival and 2017 revival had a ton of people. Uh, but we're not going to talk about every single one of them. In 2004... Well, and you're not going to hear them right now. No, you're not going to hear them now anyway. <laughs> but the 2004 revival had B.D. Wong as the reciter. And Tele Young. And Paolo Montalban, who is the prince in Brandy Cinderella. Oh, okay. Let me hear that. Oh, the last person known in the 2004 revival, though, is Alan from Sesame Street. I, just, I think that's fun. <laughs> I love all the notable Sesame Street people on this. Yeah, lots yeah. of Sesame Street in this. <laughs> George Takei was in it. In the 2017 revival. Yeah, and mm-hmm. Anne Harada was in the 2017 revival. Mm-hmm. Yay. Yay! Yay, thank you. We did, did it. We made it. We did. <laughs> hey. I've been drinking. I'll just blame it on this. I'm glad y'all covered uh, Maka and George Takai and then B.D. Wong. B.D. Wong was also in Law and Order and I was like, yes. yes. Jerry had something to do with that and he was also <laughs> in Mulan. Yes. Well, I will say that B.D. Wong was in Law and Order SVU, not in original Law and Order like Jerry Orbach and Sam Waterstein. So, oh, okay. But the franchise is real and I'm sure that they had a talk with Dick Wolf or whatever. I don't know. He was a referral. Emily, before we go into act one, uh, can I talk a little bit about what I found about Kabuki theater? Sure. It might make a little bit more sense to what we're, what we're about to describe. So originally y'all, you know how we, um, we were talking about the 1976 version has all men performing except for the women at the end and they're like doing set changes and stuff so originally kabuki theater was all female and it was like a dance um and i'm so sorry to anybody out there who is uh who is an actual historian um it was they would dance outside of a uh, honoring a a god basically uh it was it was like a big deity? dramatic dance a deity thank you there you go it was it was a <laughs> big dramatic dance and then people would come to watch it and then certain people wanted to start performing for the audience and not just for the deity and it became a whole big dramatic thing and it broke away from the the very straight-laced um performance style at the time so this was like a huge breakaway from that original very very stoic kind of acting that they used uh that was the japanese tradition but during the edo period in japan which was let me find the date i have it 1603 to 1868 what the fuck a restriction was placed forbidding women from participating in it and it became a man performance only and that kind of role, kind of like what we know in opera as Castrata back in the early days, is a, a man who has had his balls cut to sing a woman part. That part, basically, they, I, don't, I don't know if they were mutilated or anything, but the, the man who played a woman, that role was called an onagata, which I found really interesting. And what is shown in this, in, in kabuki theater, it's usually folk stories and dramatic stories or political pieces or something based on a historical event that's heartwarming but super dramatic they're well-known stories to most of the audience members but it's they only show like a part of the big dramatic story so I feel like act one and act two are two big parts of the dramatic story that is being told in Pacific Overtures 
And that's why act one was really confusing. I was like, I don't understand what's happening. Just, just to give a little background on that. Cause I was like, what the fuck is happening? They've got dynamic stage sets, revolving sets, trap doors. So people can disappear. There are people in black that'll come on stage and change the set. Just like walk out on stage and just change the set. That style There's a footbridge called a Hanamichi that's put out into the audience for dramatic entrances and exits. And that's what you saw that they're making these like big old entrances. I literally have in my notes, OMG, the fucking catwalk. (laughs) (laughs) I know. OMG, the catwalk, that Hanamichi bitches. What? Work the catwalk. Work the Hanamichi. They they use big, big makeup, big hair, big costumes. So the ending, which we'll get to when I cover it, is super dramatic because all of that goes away. I just thought it was really fucking interesting and really fucking necessary to know what the hell's going on in this show. You ready, Emily? Excellent. We are going to talk about Act 1 and confuse the shit out of Jen. Yay! <laughs> um, so general notes of the show in Act 1, they kept, they kept using the word barbarian. So actually, they refer to anyone who is not Japanese as a barbarian. The songs that are in it, there's a lot. The reason that Act One is going to be confusing, and I warn everyone it's going to be confusing, is because there's vignettes that are happening within the songs. And some of the scenes that are happening in the songs don't pertain to the story at all. They're really just pertaining to the culture. And so like there's one song, and I'll talk about it, where literally like a grandma shows up and then never shows back again. She's just... Mm -hmm there's a grandma there's grandma so and then what was the what was the fucking catwalk called hanama hanamichi hanamichi work the hanamichi they work it a lot So it opens on three figures on the stage in the middle one. And I wrote alto or man, realizing later that it was, in fact, a man. Uh, Two things can be true. (laughs) (laughs) True, true, true. true. And we watched the 19, what, 76 76 Broadway recording of it. So the show itself was conceived as a Japanese playwright's version of an American musical about American influences on Japan. So it opens up, these three figures are there, and then the reciter comes into view with the spotlight, and he goes, July 1853, or whatever he says. So this takes place in July 1853. And so he's saying um, pretty much nothing has threatened the scene in Japan. Nothing has has threatened their, their everyday life. And the presider works as the narrator throughout the show. And this is Mako. I don't know if it's Mako or Mako. So that's the presider. So he's like the narrator. He says, nothing has threatened the scene of Japan. And he begins singing the song, The Advantages of Floating in the Middle of the Sea. A long title. Days. The middle of the world would float 
the middle of the sea. That is very into the woods. Very Sweeney, too. Yes, yes. Very Sweeney. Very giants in the sky. Very, like, Sondheimian. Sondheimian. We're going to say a lot of words to the accompaniment (laughs) that just repeats itself over and over again. And it's all like the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Like, it's all just the same. He loves those three notes. Those parallel fourths. So in this advantages of floating in the middle of the sea, I do enjoy the reciter because he's not necessarily the best singer. But I also heard B.D. Wong. He was the voice of Shang and Mulan. But he didn't Mulan, sing it. But he didn't sing he's, it. Exactly. Yeah. He was just the speaking voice. Anyways, moving on <laughs> and not getting on tangents. I also, every time I say reciter, I keep thinking of like actual cider, alcoholic cider. <laughs> and it's like I'm recitering because yeah. the D and the T are the same for me. Anyways, <laughs> in this song, there's pretty much saying there's no foreigners in Japan and it, Japan being an island. So it's an island empire. He explains that everywhere else there's there's wars that are being fought and machines that are rumbling. But here in Japan, there is just rice planting and bow exchanging and everything is very peaceful and uh what's the what's the it's serenity pleasantries serene serene thank you (laughs) (laughs) english is my first language i just moved a lot i don't know words anyways everything's very serene and peaceful thank you (laughs) and so nothing change like nothing comes in to threaten the changeless cycles of their day that line is straight from Wikipedia. I looked up five different synopsis, synopses of this musical, and they all say exactly the same thing. Wikipedia will not go into detail because there's so much detail. Um, so the, meanwhile, when this, all this is happening, the song is happening, the characters are all in the background behind the reciter who is kneeling in the middle of the stage. And these actors are all moving very slowly and their movements are very um, general. So it's like they're miming it, but miming it in a very simple, slow way. It reminded me of the, the robots and the uh, It's a Small World After All ride at Disney World. <laughs> oh, no. Where they all just do the same motion, but it's all very slow and they turn and then they do the motion oh, like again. Mechan- like mechanical. It's very yeah. mechanical, but it was more, I would describe it more like, like posing. Puppets. It's more like puppets. So a part of that Kabuki theater style is to like, to show the audience what characters you're, you're playing is to pose it and then play into it and then pose yeah, I think, it and play. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And that's what, that was definitely what I was getting. Meanwhile, the reciter is sitting literally in a resting stink face. <laughs> Anyways, they're playing this out. And in the song, one of the common themes that he keeps singing is the benefits of the screens. And that's going to come back later, the screens. Ha. Huh. Um, and being like between the screens, behind the screens. And so there, there's no view of the outside and all the unpleasantries that are outside. Everyone's makeup and, and they all have this, like it's over, it's almost like a caricature of a real person like they their faces are so painted that there's no expression the expression is just there they have a very clear line on their hairline like that clearly there's something sitting on their head they didn't even try and like try and meld it it's two different colors which was very interesting and everything they say it's all as i said slow movement but their their enunciation of everything the inflection is insane there's one point where he's talking like this the whole time and then he'll, he'll stop and say something very slow and then go very high. 
Mm-hmm. And then start talking like this again. And it was just, very, Mikey's laughing at me. It was just very, very interesting. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, so they're serving tea. He, there's a lot of imagery. He says like serving tea, paint the sea, planting rice, catching fish. And everything, it's just a scene of peacefulness. Meanwhile, the reciter having stink face. And so he goes on to say, everything is in changeless order. And there's been slight disturbances in the past. Sure, yes, slight disturbances. Things like, this is my favorite line, gossip of the noodle salesman. That was a slight disturbance. How dare he? (laughs) How dare he? But like nothing of really importance has caused any disturbances up until there was a prisoner who came into play. We float. Now, this is where I started getting really confused with characters. (laughs) President Millard Fillmore says, but President Millard Fillmore, determined to open up trade with Japan, has sent Commodore Matthew C. Perry across the Pacific. To the consternation of Lord Abe and the Shogun. Shogun? 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 Shogun. Yeah, I definitely looked it up. The Shogun. My brother studied Japanese and I should have asked him and I didn't. The Shogun's, uh, Shogun's, I think is what he it is He kind of, he represents the emperor or he speaks for the emperor and he makes decisions. Yeah. Basically. But, so he's talking to, with his counselors about this trouble that's begun with the appearance of Mahiro, who is a fisherman who had been lost at sea. So he left Japan and then he was with the Americans in Massachusetts. And then he came back to Japan. <laughs> that's literally how they, he is a spy, <laughs> was what I texted Chelsea. <laughs> that, I saw that. I was like, I don't remember that line. But it's it's literally like a long way in. to go. Right? Massachusetts? Yeah, I mean, he's a historic person and he was there for a long time. Mm -hmm. So Manhiro, he's an important character, but he's not an important character, but he is an important character. Anyways, he's going to help out some, but he's, he was in Massachusetts for six years and he has returned to, he has returned to Japan. He has been like with American culture, but now wants to reintegrate himself with the Japanese culture. So I wanted to point out, yes, the vote, the vocal inflections were more important than the, than their facial expressions, which was very interesting. Uh, One thing that's very interesting about the act one is those clicks happen at the end of every scene and what will happen, you know, the scene's about to end because they're click click and then they accelerate and then it will be like a blackout so that happened after advantages of the floating sea are in the middle of the sea and then that's happening now so Mahiro as I said before he has come in caged and they're talking about him so Mahiro <laughs> he's he was arrested because he was attempting to warn the authorities of the approaching warships the American warships but he got arrested because he was consorting with foreigners. So that's why they're in front of the counselor. But now there is a minor samurai named Kayama, Kayama Yasaman. They just, let's call him Kayama. The minor samurai. He is appointed the prefect of the police at Yuraga to drive the Americans away. So now Kayama's job is to drive the Americans away. So then you have the acceleration clicks. I wrote, he was talking to the puppet guy. Good. The emperor puppet guy. Yeah. Okay. And y'all, that comes back. The emperor is a puppet, like an actual puppet. Um, this is the only time I really noticed transition music, but they transition to a new scene. And so the platform comes up and this background comes up and then the house flies in. And you have inside the wife of Kayama, which is Tamate. 
And he tells her that he is now on this mission to drive the Americans away. And she's really supportive because she pretty much tells him like, well, you're going to fail. You're going to fail, dude. You're going to fuck up. And so if he most certainly fails, they would then both commit seppuku. So I looked that word up. It's seppuku. Here's my knife. <laughs> it's a little bit more graphic. Oh, Ready? boy. Seppuku is a form. It is a ritualistic form. It's a form of Japanese ritual suicide by disembowelment. Now, what is disembowelment, you might ask? It's where you cut open and you, you remove your internal organs. So, Super. So Tamate, she's, she doesn't really even sing this. Pretty much now there's two people on the stage, on a split stage, and they are singing the song, There Is No Other Way. inner thoughts it's that there's other people on stage because they're singing their inner thoughts and if the actors were to actually sing and it would be them actually like speaking to each other but they can't talk to each other about emotions exactly exactly <laughs> exactly um he's leaving and there's a whole ritual of, like his he takes his robe off and um there's offerings to him and uh, there's a scarf that she pulls out at one point, but pretty much Tamate, she, her whole thing is that she's just dancing this in that posed stoic type of dance. And the two observers are singing their thoughts, as Chelsea said. And then you have those sticks go, 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 go. They accelerate and blackout. For then this fisherman to show up who is like full on crouched, he probably has, I'm going to say this, he probably has the best ass in the entire world. <laughs> he, he looks like he's pooping. He does. <laughs> like, he's like in a full squat the whole show or this whole song, which is a long ass song. And this song just, I get why it's here, but it was also one of those things where I'm like, could have been shorter. Uh, yeah. It's called Four Black Dragons. <laughs> Okay, so this is the song that I actually almost crashed my car listening to because Sondheim loves to put stupid noises and stuff like the whistle in Sweeney Todd and this freaking noise. And I literally thought that an 18 wheeler was behind me about to run me over and I swerved like, <laughs> yes. on the road. When oh. I was listening to our episode about Sweeney Todd, I was on the road driving and I heard some of those crazy ass noises and I was like, fuck. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, so poopy, pooping, uh, guy, he comes on. Oh, gosh, he is hilarious though. He comes on and he's singing for black dragons, which took me until pretty much five minutes after the song to realize what they were singing about. What were they uh, singing about? They are singing about the American boats that are oh. on their way. That's what the dragons are. Oh. And there came breaking through the mist roaring through the sea four black dragons spitting fire 
fisherman, a thief, and other locals are talking about this site. So they're all being kumbaya and talking about the sight of the four black dragons roaring through the sea. But in the middle of the song, remember how I talked about grandma earlier? <laughs> <laughs> so pretty much in the middle of it, and the fisherman comes on and he's like, the grandma's like, we have to take her up the mountain. He goes, I don't want to take her up the mountain. Like if you take her up the mountain, then we'll, because she's old, because she can't climb it, then I'll take you up the mountain when you're old and you can't climb it. And he goes, okay. And he grandma jumps on his back and they run off stage it is the tradition of like you carry it's an old Japanese tradition which I actually knew about from when I was in elementary school where what they used to do is they would take their elderly up the mountain when they were thinking they were going to die and just kind of leave them there and it was a way it was like a peaceful way to go but when when they leave with grandma the some guy comes out I don't know who he was I think he might be the thief but he got stabbed and died oh so that happened too. But the, what they say, one of the lines that they said, if you don't take it, the barbarians will. Meaning the Americans coming in here. Yeah. Well, they don't know it's the Americans. They're just saying like barbarians because what they're seeing is the dragons. If you don't take it, the barbarians will. And then he stabbed. Suddenly all this gets cleared. And this is actually a really cool set during the song. They have like kind of a patchwork set backdrop that come in and they, they're separated and layered. Well, it is award-winning, you know. See award-winning from this set. It's a really cool set. Are there two people as like a horse at one point? Probably. I was probably ferociously writing this. Wait, like old school, like one's a head and one's a butt? Two women as a horse. I thought that at first it was a real horse. And then I was like, no, that's just, and then I was like, oh, maybe that's a set piece horse. And then I was like, no, it's two women, I think. Oh man, no, I missed that. Now I'm upset. So now all this has happened, all this shit's happened and the set moves apart. And then you have this extravagant caricature of the USS Powhatan in the harbor. Woohoo, the Americans, they're here. Kayama is on a little boat which somebody's pushing. Maybe that's what you noticed. Was somebody was like crouched and pushing his boat. But he comes out to meet with the Americans and be like, you need to go. And they're like, ha, 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 ha. No, you have to be of authority to talk to us. You're not important enough to talk to us is a big thing. Meanwhile, the counselors are like in the corner and they're like, they're not going to talk to important people. Like, who are the important people? Oh, it's us. No, we don't want to talk to them. Yeah. I like how uh, the reciter actually introduces the Americans as barbarians with faces as gray as death Americans. I was like, hmm, cute. Okay. I mean, they only will speak to great men. So, but uh, how do they even know? Like, how do they know who this dude is? Like he could be anyone. I think they're assuming like you're not dressed well enough to be a great man. You don't look like us. Well, he's dressed like, I mean, he's dressed well for, I think his who he is, the prefect of police. But I think when they start mocking him, he's so like, uh, 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 uh. Ah. so, and then Mahiro is actually going to kind of point on that in just a second because- Is it, it Manjiro or Manjiro? I'd say it's Manjiro. Manjiro. Look, Konichiwa. Kayama enlists Manjiro, who is the only man in Japan who has dealt with Americans. He enlists him and he gets disguised as a great lord. So he's wearing his- He's wearing a striped red and black shirt. He looks like Where's Waldo. Um, he does. <laughs> hey, that is a Tony award-winning costume design. <laughs> Thank you very much. I 100% agree. He enlists uh, Manjiro and he dresses as a great lord uh, to get, get the Americans to answer about, you know, 
getting this letter and meeting how they have pretty much, I wrote, get the answer. I don't really know what he's trying to answer, but uh, Manjaro ends up getting the Americans to respond to him and be like, Oh, you're, we'll talk to you. And there's one, there's a pipeline of conversations. Like we don't talk to not great men. And they're like, well, you can talk to me and I will talk to him. And then we will confer this way. And so it was like a pipeline of who they could talk to in this like trio. And it's absolutely ridiculous. And eventually they float away in their boat. And uh, Kayama is like, how did you do that? And he goes, Americans are easy. They shout, you shout louder. That's my favorite line. <laughs> so Commodore Perry must, pretty much the, the ultimatum that's made is Commodore Perry of the Americans. He must meet the Shogun uh, within six days or else he will shell the city. Shell it. Boom, like, boom, boom. Like you want to boom, boom it. Anyways, moving on from that. <laughs> so Shogun is having a really hard time with this ultimatum, who is also the reciter in the version that we watched. Um, and he like refuses to commit himself one way or the other in answer. So he ends up going to bed where the song, <sighs> Chrysanthemum, <laughs> I said it, oh, he... She has a really hard time just saying that word. This is like that, the one word she can't say. And Why are cut you? It down how many it. times does this word come into your life? Right. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Uh, so chrysanthemum tea. It's it's pretty much there's it's the mom, the shogun's mom, singing up to him, and it has this. It's the high soprano man with a little. He's sitting on the ground with this little looty looking thing, and he had said he's like yeah some high notes uh he kind of sounds like Addis's Ariel it's the day of the rat my lord but you'll notice just behind you there are ships in the bay they've been sitting there all day with a letter to convey and they haven't gone away and there's every indication that they're planning to stay my lord have some tea, my lord, some chrysanthemum tea. It's an herb that's superb for disturbances at sea. Same thing over and over again. A million times. And she keeps like trying to go, hey, hey, here's some chrysanthemum tea. Go make a decision, bitch. Yes. That tea is very important, though, because that tea is an elaborate courtesy to poison him. That's why this song, I don't know like why it feels this way but it sounds like kill the beast to me yeah in parts like that's actually i see it i see i'm like i don't know maybe everything that's menacing sounds the same and also it also kind of sounds like the beginning of the ursula song too so it's very alan menkeny this song hey menkeny hey make it you've got sahidiums and menkeny Perfect. The theme continues. And there's, again, a whole bunch of vignettes that are happening across days while she's poisoning her son. There's my favorite is the soothsayer who comes on that she brings on. And he goes like, there's a spider on the wall. And the girl goes, ah! Each configuration spells victory. Ah, spider on the wall. Signify success. Who oh, success I cannot guess. Unless. It literally goes like the, the beats are there's a spider on the wall. Ah! ah Signify success or something like that. Signify success. But whose I can't say. 
And then he gets this, like, they zoom in on his face. And he's like, I don't know who's success, but success somewhere. Success for someone. <laughs> someone. <laughs> but I'm so some by forsooth. So he was my favorite. All things fall. So I noticed at this point in the show, the chimes that I talked about before where they accelerate, they kind of are lost right now. Like you're not hearing it as much. I also noted at this point in the show that Manjiro was, was brought in to like, because he was able to converse with the Americans and better make them understand to respect him. This is the part of the show where everything started to make a little bit more sense too. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, huh. How clever of you. So I'd be like, sometimes you should do that on purpose. And he goes, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, 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 There's a theme. Totally made that up. Kayama, he devises a plan by which the Americans can uh, be received without technically setting foot on Japanese soil. Thanks to covering, he's going to cover the ground with tama- t- tatami mats. He's going to cover the ground with tatami mats on that catwalk or that catwalk. <laughs> and they raise this a house, the treaty house, for which is made for which he has made for the governor of Uraga. And so Kayama, while he's telling the counselors this, he also asks to revoke the death, death sentence of Manjiro, because oh yeah, he had one of those. And they are like, okay, great. So this this whole thing has been a success for Kayama. Remember his wife was really freaked out about that and was like, you're going to fail because she's supportive. Like we're going to have to kill ourselves because you're a failure. So I they... What she's doing? Mm, I don't know. Left at home. Like you're cheating. All alone. <laughs> <laughs> but we have a whole song before we get there. Oh, of poems. Rain Glistening on the silver birch, like my lady's tears. Your turn. Rain gathering, winding into streams, like the roads to Boston. Your turn. What's kind of fucked up about the song, though, is Kayama and Manjiro are like, they're becoming friends and they're heading back to Uraga and they're forging this friendship by exchanging poems. So they're all, they're singing about uh, Tamate, but they keep passing it off. So they're like, I love my wife, your turn. Hey. Well, there's a part where he's like, your turn. And he's like, uh, uh your turn, your uh. turn. And then they go into a chorus. Because <laughs> I was like, are they about to get a little explicit? That's going to come in just a minute. But first, we have to talk about how Kayama gets back to his wife. So he's saved Japan, right? But he is too late. This is per Wikipedia. To save Tomate. <laughs> <laughs> so he comes home. And what he finds is Tamate is sitting, like kneeling she's in like front. She's praying. She's or something. like praying. Like it's just, she's just sitting there kneeling. And he's like, I'm here, I'm here, I'm home, blah, 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 blah. And he goes and touches her. And this is where it kind of gets fucked up, but she just kind of falls over and she's dead. And I'm like, how long has she been sitting? <laughs> how does but, your body sit up like yeah, that? Yeah. Are you disemboweled? She... If your rib cage is, sorry, I'm very into horror movies. Oh, oh. it's like your rib cage is going to still be there it's still a bone so you flop over 
And you're kind of just propped on your own rib cage, I would think. Yeah. So she has committed. We were like talking about like, was all this thing? I was like, I don't really know because the scene lasted approximately 30 seconds. <laughs> oh, so she's dead. She's dead. But uh, so she's committed seppuku after having received no news from Kayama for many days. So she just assumed that he failed. And so she's literally- You know what assuming it. does. Yeah. It kills people. <laughs> yeah, sure. I said that. I'm like, no, wait, wait, wait. What, what do you think it does? The reciter is like the vocals of her falling too. So she falls, she's fallen. She has like red stripes on her dress, like that are painted. So they're like on her general stomach area. Okay. Just to like her torso. I literally go, reciter is the vocals of this. He's going, wow. <laughs> so dramatic and like there's no facials there's nothing that would, like no body movement that would even signify that someone would be that dramatic he's just okay serious question is yeah. he actually like how you said before chelsea that they don't show a lot of emotion was he like the inside of both of the people like she's dying and going ah and then also the guy's heart is breaking because he's seeing his dead wife and so he's like really dramatic you could, uh-huh, uh-huh, you uh-huh. could, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. absolutely interpret it that way. I, I think, <laughs> yes. He becomes something else in the end of the show, which could, we'll come back. We'll come back to it. Okay, okay. okay. Come back. My favorite part of this whole scene is the end of the scene. That's only 30 seconds long, remember? Because Majiro comes back and he just shows up and he's like, everything's great. And he's rubbing Kayama's shoulders. He's like, come on, blah, blah, blah. And that's Tamate's death. That's it. Just, everything's great. <laughs> Moving on to a very, a very sexy song mm-hmm, called Welcome to Kanagawa. Hurry up, girls, for heaven's sakes. The Americans will have already landed. Is this Telly the Young? It's Ernest Harada. Welcome to Kanagawa. Welcome to Kanagawa. No. Welcome to Kanagawa. Welcome to Kanagawa. Uh, So pretty much what's happening is everything is like beyond control in Japan. Like Americans are there. The Shogun is getting uh, poisoned. People are committing a seppuku and so madame down shit's going down and madame shows up with her inexperienced girls to teach them the art of seduction as they prepare for the arrival of the foreign devils she's trying to explain to the girls like this is how you uh how you seduce a a man and the girls have these fans (laughs) one of them just like drops the fan i'm like oh she dropped the fan lol and they're all singing like yo yo and they're sitting in line and they open up the fans and they're reading them and they zoom in i'm like oh my god that's smut there's like sex positions on the fan (laughs) oh and she's oh like, God. she's explaining them. She's walking down the line. There's four of these girls and she's walking down the line. She's like, that's this, that's that. And one girl is like, and you understand that? And she's like, yeah. And she, and then she starts to do something and she's like, no, don't touch that. Oh. So she, she goes, she goes, those you don't touch. Oh, so bad. One of them. And I had to write this down because I was just like, I can't handle this. One says, one you use a squash for, but pump, pumpkin works too. What? This is not a dirty podcast. 
You're welcome. This is an explicit podcast. Come on. You're welcome. You're welcome, Jen. Yes. So that's what's happening in those scenes. And then she talks about how barbarians are hairy and uncontrolled. Well, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, they keep going back to this haiku. They're like the ancient haiku. We have to fall back on the ancient haiku, which finally the reciter reads. Then he laughs. The haiku is this. The bird from the sea, not knowing pine from bamboo, roost on anything. Yeah. Yep. And he laughs at it. Uh, yeah. I still don't understand how that has to do with pumpkins. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a menu pumpkins item. Pumpkins is just, it's, exactly. It's a menu oh. item. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but they roost on anything. Pretty much they're like, yeah. They're saying that the sailors will get, yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. Don't, they don't care because they'll roost on anything. They can't tell. Who's, who's good and who's not, so. The nest building bird. Seeing the tree without twigs. Looks for new forests. Exactly. Yo-ho! Yo-ho! So now that we've had this welcome to Kanagawa and the stuff that's happening in Kanagawa. We have the march to the treaty. So remember we have the treaty house Mm -hmm. they're making and the mats that are going to get them there. So Perry is insistent about delivering these gifts and sharing what they'll gain from this merger more or less, or this, this partnership. And so he wants to give gifts to demonstrate their goodwill. And he offers gifts such as whiskey and champagne. I'm sold on that. Uh, done. Right. Um, yeah. Two bags of Irish potatoes and a copy of Owen's Geology of Minnesota. Which I think this is, this is what he brought. Like this in, is yeah. in real life. Yeah. yeah. And then my favorite, and there's a huge long list, but my favorite was a complete list of U.S. post offices. Yes, that's Ooh, yes. <laughs> that's so useful. So this whole song, like this is happening. There's a lot of snare and there's a lot of drunk and there's a lot of words. And uh, I wrote a lot of snare drunk. I think I meant to say snare drum, but that works too. And then they, that's the song. They talk about the gifts and I'm like, bye gifts. Because then we have a recap where a samurai comes on and... <laughs> Pretty much what he's saying is they didn't know the Americans' plan were peaceful, so they sent a samurai. So a samurai shows up and he's behind the mast talking really slow and talking about what's happened so far in the story. And then he comes off and he goes, so they sent me. I'm the samurai. (laughs) (laughs) He he talks about how he's put together an army of 5,000 on horseback and they're all ready to attack behind the screen remember the screen oh. we talked about earlier so all these things so they literally have a screen and like they're like five thousand army and then these feet pop Boom. down and then they're like horseback and then horse feet oh. pop down yeah. and then the ladies come with the, <laughs> the mikey's hallucinated don't make assumptions the canvas is is hiding this army because they're hiding it the the enemy will think twice because they're behind this canvas but when the americans saw the screen they said pull down those drapes what kind of army hides behind a canvas and they roar with laughter and so the samurai is record like pretty much talking about this and he's like he takes out his his katana and he goes and then he puts it back and he (laughs) he goes most discouraging most discouraging, but what are you going to do with people like that? And he puts his mask back on and he leaves. 
At least he wears a mask. I was like, what is the scene? What is going on? Are they doing a scene change? Are they putting up the treaty? I don't... So then more marching happens on the catwalk. <laughs> and the Americans come in and they go to the treaty house. So the reciter recites the following. This is a paraphrase. So uh, he pretty much is saying, no one knows what was said inside the treaty house, but the Americans have entered the treaty house. It's like sailors. It's a whole army of Americans. It's the room where it happened. Exactly. It was very, very that. And there's no office, uh, object. there's no official, oh my God. No one knows what was said. And there's no official Japanese account of what was happening in the treaty house. And then they're like, well, they have, there's a Westerner's account. The Westerners say one thing, but... I won't believe that. And these people show up for the song, Someone in a Tree. There you were at the treaty house. The treaty there house. was a tree which was where? Very near. Over here. Maybe over there. But there were trees then everywhere. May I show you? There were trees then everywhere. But you were there. And I was there. Let me show you if you please. Agree to disagree. The song took fucking forever so, <laughs> and they just say that like there's no there's no additional information yeah. that happens oh, yeah. that comes out of the song it's just a uh, reflection that's, yeah. that's like the point of the song though right yeah yes sometimes going uh-huh uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no but it so, is yeah it's like if you don't have people observing from a tree you don't have a story to tell later well the, yeah like an old well, man I, I like the guy who's like underneath who's like i am also here <laughs> like, okay yeah, you are. Yep. yeah so literally this song what's happening is this old man shows up and he's like when i was a boy i was up in the tree and i saw this happen and this boy rolls out onto stage of like sure okay uh the boy is up there and he goes well we were younger then we were younger then we were younger then that's what they keep saying he's like well i saw gold i was only 10 a million times how old oh, were you 10 10 <laughs> We got it. The only thing he adds to that, though, is like, I saw gold. Awesome. <laughs> and then the warrior under, he's like, I'm, I'm here too. He was under the floorboards. And they're like, oh, so you can, you can, you're there? And he goes, yeah, I, I'm there. And he's like, uh, but I can't see. And it's like, but I can hear. And they're like, do you want me to hear? And I think the reciter is like, if you would please. <laughs> and he goes, well, I hear hmm, a creak, a thump, a clink, and shouting. And that was the extent of his uh, contribution. (laughs) I also think that that's like the lowest part that the reciter has to sing is like, if you would please. It's like, at least in the recording we have, it seems like it's hard for the dude to get down there. I'm like, it's okay. You just have to do it the one time. (laughs) One time, one time. But this is where harmonies are really prevalent. I literally wrote, yes, harmonies. It's a very Americanized here. So it seems that Kayama has won and the Americans will depart in peace because the letter was delivered and the Americans are satisfied and they march back to the ship. So all those mats that were that they laid out, they ended up they tore the house down, they rolled up the mats so that they would never touch the t- the contaminated side would never touch the ground because remember that was really important that they never touch the Japanese soil and the barbarian threat forever removed. And then comes the lion dance. It's like, yeah, barbarians are removed. And so the lion dance, it's a barbarian figure. It's supposed to be a figure of Commodore Perry. And he leaps out to perform a traditional uh, kabuki lion dance. Dressed, he, He's dressed as Commodore Perry, but he kind of looks more like Uncle Sam. And he ends up, he like does this triumphant strut 
like there's a high kick. It's like a series of high kicks in a circle and then there's lower kicks and he's in his quick pace and there's in the tapping. Yeah, but just, but that's not the music that they're playing. They're no, playing. definitely not that. They're playing, remember that tapping we talked about at the beginning where it would like slow, slow and it would accelerate? The tapping mm-hmm. is back at this point. So in every tap and twitch of the dance was very rhythmic and went with the music. And then we went to intermission. <laughs> uh, yeah. What an act. What an act. All right. Act two. Pacific Undertures. <laughs> undertures. Atlantic oh, Undertures. Atlantic Undertures. Oh, did you get your unicorn Here's... farts? Oh, not yet. Oh, no. Should I get it? Get it. I'll get, get it. it. Absolutely. Get your unicorn farts. No, I'll drink it out of the cute. But you can't see the sparkles. She's oh, out. yeah, get me a cup. We all want to see the glitter beer. We- oh, it's cute. It's really cute. It's very cute. Jeez. Oh, my God, I see it. Uh, we could see sparkles. Oh, maybe it's the glass. That They're, like, really beautiful. fine, obviously, because you don't want to, like, choke yeah. on a sparkle. I love that. I love choking Here's on sparkles. Just choking on sparkles. <laughs> all right, act two. Act two. Hey. Okay, so... The emperor is very pleased that the Americans have left. They were here and then they're gone, but not really. Cause remember the lion dance at the end of act one, the Americans are not really gone. They're coming back. The reciter says, he presents at the very beginning of act two. He says, a haiku. The hand which feeds it grudgingly is the first hand which the dog will bite. If it ever gets the chance. You want to, Un- un- unfurl that one, Emily. Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> Your face. Uh, the hand which feeds it grudgingly is the first hand which the dog will bite if it ever gets the chance. That's like his like side note to it. If it ever gets the chance. Angry hand. So it's a forceful hand. Begrudgingly. Hand which which it, it, I guess it's begrudgingly, but I heard the hand which feeds it grudgingly is the first hand which the, dog, which the dog will bite. I guess it's like the bites. hand that's, I guess, yeah, the angry hand is the one that's like, if you're angry, then the dog that you're trying to please is going to bite you first and you. attack yeah. you first. But then they're saying if it ever gets the chance, so they would kill the dog before it would bite you. Hey, you got it. Okay. I'm glad you understood because I didn't understand it. <laughs> I was like, really I got really dark yeah, in my head with that. Yeah. I'm really I, bad at Shakespeare. Yes, so. <laughs> I was like, certainly Emily or somebody else will understand this haiku. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck. Anyway, so I was, I'm just going to put that haiku out there. I am the smart. <laughs> I am the smart. Okay, so the child emperor, chi- and it's a child emperor, literally a puppet with a person standing behind it and hiding behind the puppet face. It's this big white face with a red emperor cloak on and, and he's got... People on either side kind of maneuvering the hands. No, so he sounds nightmarish. I don't like. He is nightmarish. <laughs> <laughs> he's terrifying. Like, Children yes. can be creepy as hell. It's a child voice, so it's a man trying to be a child voice. <laughs> it's creepy as fuck. So, and literally a puppet, but controlled by others, except in this guy standing behind him. So the emperor here promotes Abe to the. What do we say that word was? The shogun? Promotes yeah, shogun. Abe to the shogun. Promotes Manjiro to samurai, who was, he was prisoner and now he's 
samurai and promotes Kayama to governor of Uraga. These are hard to say. You are correct, Emily. Thank you. <laughs> There's it has nothing to do with alcohol. <laughs> a little bit to do with the alcohol. Oh, just, you know, alcohol is my second language. Yes. But guess what? Dun, dun, dun. The Americans return. Uh, and this, this John Philip Sousa type march in the song, Please, and Hello. <laughs> So there's a but the this song please and hello it changes based on who comes into the scene first it's the americans and they don't really it, i think that's right first it's the americans with a but next up is the and this is another composer-esque adjective now gilbertian british ambassador ah gilbertian british ambassador so he's saying he's coming everybody comes in and says please and hello and then goodbye and they stay on but they they introduce new people so all these new entities are coming into japan trying to trade with them since the americans were successful with getting on the soil which no foreigners can get on that soil but now all of these people are trying to get into it so we've got this gilbertian british ambassador that sounds like he's doing the modern major general that with the patter song hello i come with letters from her majesty victoria learning higher training now saying hallelujah gloria and sent me to convey to you her positive euphoria as well as little gifts from britain's various importia they're discussing trade agreements followed by a clog dancing dutchman literally has clogs on and is doing this little dutch dance this little dutchman dance <laughs> with his clogs. This is my favorite one. The gloomy Russian is the next person to join. The gloomy Russian comes in and his, his catchphrase is don't touch the coat. <laughs> he's like, he's singing his song. Don't touch the coat. Da, 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 don't touch the coat. But he's singing it with like this Russian accent and it's very gloomy and dark sounding, but the don't touch the coat. I wrote LOL next to it. Cause it literally, I scared the shit out of my cats. <laughs> the both I feel depressed. Don't touch the coat. I laughed so hard at Don't Touch the Coat that my cats like jumped off and ran off. <laughs> uh, and then last but not least, a very fancy Frenchman comes in and the music changes to each of these characters. Very fancy Frenchman saying please and hello. And then they're all singing together. Uh, yes, very, very fancy. <laughs> they're all singing at, who's it? At, uh, the Shogun? The Shogun, yeah, they're all singing it at the Shogun. Handing I'm him paying treaties. attention. We <laughs> got <laughs> it. <One> star. <laughs> they're handing him treaties, and he's kind of overwhelmed with all these treaties, and he's like, I don't know what to do now. So as, as they're going through their songs, they're like, hey, sign our treaty, or else maybe, I don't know, something might happen, and you hear bombs in the background going boom. So they're threatening, absolutely threatening. They're uh, shell in the place. Yeah they're shelling the place or they're threatening to shell the place. And they're saying, Hey, guess what? We got some shit that fuck you up. Moving on. This is me. I'm often told that on a Saturday night. I got some shit. Akku <laughs> <laughs> is a little dark, but also you laugh at it. Cause like the music is really fun. It's becoming a little bit more familiar to my ear as we go into act two, because Americanized and Westernized music is starting to take over the show a little bit. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. yep. 
With all these new foreign barbarian visitors, again, the southern lords grow restless and send a politically charged gift to the emperor. So the southern lords want things to remain the same. They don't want people on the soil still. They send him a storyteller who vividly describes a heroic emperor who frees himself from westernization, basically, from these terrible barbarians that are coming in to destroy. And this is not in a song. It's, it's, it's more of a, a spoken narrative that he says all of this. So basically in his story, it's like a, the emperor is sitting in his garden and there's these beautiful butterflies that come and sit on his shoulder and everything's peaceful and everything's good. And then these, these, these people come in and they try to take over the land and the shogun has so much control in this story over the emperor that they, they tell him basically, you must kill your shogun and take back control and you must rid us of these barbarians because only you have the power to do that. And then the butterflies will return covered in our enemy's blood. They just thought of like Smokey Bear. (laughs) Only you have the power to (laughs) to prevent barbarians. (laughs) So then the narrator comes back or the The reciter. reciter, Thank you. The reciter comes back in and, and he says, he interprets it and says, but what did the Lords of the South mean? That's the Shogun's duty is to take care of these people. Hmm. Hmm. I think they want you to kill him, basically. So then we get this next song called A Bowler Hat, which is one of my favorite parts of this show because it takes us through different years and it, it restarts this song. It's called a bowler hat. I have no wife. The swallow flying through the sky is not as swift as I am flying through my life. Every time in the song you hear something about, he says, a bowler hat, and then he adds new things that he's looking at. So this is a conversation or letters being written between Kayama and Manjiro, who are in different areas of the world now, and they are writing to each other at tea time. And so they start with one year later, and Kayama is dressed in his robes, traditional robes, and Manjiro is dressed in his traditional samurai robes. And they're writing to each other about relations with the foreigners, which there are now in, in his city over 200 Westerners. Oh, that's a lot more than the year before, right? Like, and they're best friends, so they have to share sexual exploits with each other. Exactly, precisely. Ah. So, and he talks about this bowler hat. This is, this is called a bowler hat. So he's getting excited about the stuff that the Westerners are bringing over. And then we go to three years later. He's, they're writing to each other. And it's the Westerners are growing in size. We have a look at my bowler hat. I'm now drinking wine. My wife is gone, but I, and I miss her. But all these things are exciting. I live in a grand house, and it's too big for me. There's churches popping up, and I'm learning English, and this is really cool. And he talks about his wife, and he talks about the bowler hat in every uh, verse of this song. He keeps writing, and a few more years go by. The prices are going up with shipping costs and the noodle makers are going out of business and they're really pissed off. So he has to take care of the noodle makers. But hey, I've got this cool pocket watch. Look at this. Hey, I have a wife now. And he's now, they've, they're changing the set every time he starts a new verse. So now he's got, he was starting off sitting on the floor writing to his friend and now he's got a table, a very ornate table and he's up higher now and his clothes are starting to change. 
and he's drinking tea English style now. So then we moved to six years later. This is all in the span of a four minute and 25 second song. <laughs> six years later, he's now ordered all the samurais to remove their swords because it makes the Westerners feel uncomfortable when samurais walk around with swords. So hey, samurais, put your swords away when you're in the city. Put your swords and away. You're making us all uncomfortable. You're making us uncomfortable. <laughs> wow. Open carry laws. <laughs> <laughs> That's what like, they're whining about. <laughs> <laughs> and now, speaking of wine, he's now drinking white wine, which is fancier. Look at my pocket watch. I'm in a big house and it's not big enough. It's too small for me. And I'm look at my bowler hat. I still have this cool bowler hat. I'm with the times, yo. And I moved to eight years later. There's now bars and where they can play billiards for the gentlemen and no women are allowed. And now I have a monocle. It's called a monocle. And my wife has left me. And <laughs> but look, I have a beautiful lamp. This is cool. And he's moving up with the times. And he's talking about the, the Dutch ambassador is a fool because he wears a bowler hat. Because this is like eight years after he got his bowler hat. So oh, oh, he's not with the times. I'm so cool. I've got a monocle. Fuck the bowler hat. It comes back and back. It will cycle and back it, around and cycle. <laughs> the final verse he's talking about, hey, now I got golden spectacles. Got me some golden spectacles. Aren't they cool? I drink a lot of wine. I take a lot of pills. I have this British architect. And at the same time, this person's walking in and hanging like a photo, like a beautiful painting behind him. I've got this British architect to redesign my home. I've got all these pills. Uh, and he, he's alone and sad. And he's got all this cool shit from the West, though. And he's completely Westernized at this point. And then at the end of the song, they say, this is called a cutaway. It's called a cutaway. And then he walks off stage. Yes. <laughs> it's my favorite that. part. This is called cutaway. cutaway. Bye. I love the song for the content. I love singing it. But just because I was just singing it over and over. It feels very nice. My issue with it is that it's a positive and negative. It shows that Sondheim can be very succinct and very good at storytelling in one song. Mm -hmm. But this is also like, this song could just be act two. It could. Like, this is it. It's the westernization <laughs> of Japan in a song. Like, act two could be four minutes and something seconds. It could. He dragged it out a bit. <laughs> a little bit. Sondheim, long-winded? What? what? <laughs> but he doesn't have to be. Because he, he doesn't have to be. But there's yeah. meaning behind everything. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah. So years have gone by now, about, what was it, like 18, 15 years have gone by now. A cowboy character who's played by the reciter at this point, he's got like a cowboy hat on, he's trying to like be John Wayne, enters showing off this new transportation. This is Jonathan Gobel, Gable, Gobel. He doesn't care about, he keeps talking about this, this cool new contraption and it's, I didn't get the name of it, where you sit in it and somebody picks it up and runs with it. Rickshaw. Oh, rickshaw. rickshaw, yes. He brings a rickshaw. Fuck. <laughs> I don't know why we both know that, like, obviously. Uh, uh, I don't know why. So this cowboy character is showing off the rickshaw to the people, the Western people who are in Japan. And he's like, look at this cool thing. Don't worry about the motor though, cause it's replaceable. So in the time span of showing off what this rickshaw thing can do to this person, four Japanese men die. 
they like of exhaustion. They're like just they're running along in this thing, just in place, running in place. And then you see them getting tired, and then they drop to the floor. And whenever they drop to the floor, he's like, "Don't worry, it's replaceable." So, and that's uh, why we shouldn't have carriage rides in Central Park. Bam. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> exactly. All all these men that are the motors, they're replaceable. The Japanese people are not important to him, but he wants to sell in Japan to these Westernized people. And I, I just wrote, four men die in the scene. What the fuck? The dying is like a theme. They just kind of like die and they're like, okay. Do they like roll away or do they get picked up? They, oh, they get dragged off. Okay. They get dra- Like somebody's waiting over in the corner like, yeah, all right. The women. <laughs> oh, the women, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, they're invisible. It's just oh, magic. Magic. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> moving, moving forward in the story, this is like, this comes out of nowhere and then it becomes a whole thing. These three British sailors come in and they sing this beautiful trio called Pretty Lady to a samurai's daughter who they think is a geisha. They think they can pay for her company. Pretty lady in the pretty God in country's Pretty lady, we got leave and we got pipe to die. How many pretty woman songs is uh-huh. I'm going to write? He's got a lot. So basically, these three sailors, they see the, the woman from over a fence, and they hop the fence into the samurai's backyard, and they're like, hey, you want to you wanna make me feel good? I've been away. I haven't seen ladies in a while. You look really pretty. You're a geisha, right? How much do we owe her? I don't know. I don't have a lot of money. Here, take my money, and, and let's go have some fun. And she keeps running away, and she gets scared. And it's interesting because I wrote, they deserve this, because it started off gentle, and then it became a little rapey. So they, they keep getting in closer and closer and closer. And she's like, obviously disturbed. And she's like, please go away. And they just won't leave her alone. They're so persistent. So she yells out to her father and her father comes over immediately says, what's this? And without any explanation, pulls out his samurai sword and cuts one of the sailors open on stage. And he falls to the ground and is dragged off into who knows where, where the other sailors run off. So this is going to be an issue for the governor here for, I was going to say Abba, but that's not right. Yes, Abba, Abbe. that's correct. Absolutely. <laughs> Abba. 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 <laughs> Abba was playing at the theater years later. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Oh yeah, because you saw Mama yeah, Mia there. <laughs> so it's going to be a problem for Abe and for the Western relations. So Kayama and Abe decide to travel to the emperor's court to discuss this killing with the emperor so that they don't get in trouble essentially. And they can wrap things up nicely with the Westerners so that nobody gets in trouble. While on the road traveling, they are attacked by cloaked assassins. Bum, bum, bum. Dun, dun, dun. Thank you. They are attacked by cloaked assassins sent by the Southern Lords and Abe is killed. Dun, dun, dun. Hayama finds that one of the assassins that just killed Abe is Manjiro and they fight and then Kayama is killed. <gasps> Wait. Um, who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad 
okay. name. I have to know. Who's man? Wait. Also, when you said Manchig, what what was the M name? Manchero. Okay, I think I'm hungry because I heard. That's why I'm like cheese. Like Manchero and Kayam are the only two people that we followed through the story. We like we like seriously followed them. Yo, it's okay. They're dead now. You don't have to worry about them anymore. Wait, no. Which one was the one? Wait, that's okay. Wait. So the M one, the M one was a samurai. He was the one that initially was the guy who went to America, right? Yeah. And then he was promoted to samurai position. Right. He was hired by the Southern Lords to be an assassin, apparently, to kill these guys who were going to go talk it out about the Westerner. Because these, Kayama ended up being a promoter of Westernization, and the Southern Lords didn't want that. Yeah. So they hired these assassins to go kill him on the road. And Abe, too, because Abe kind of help controls the emperor he's the governor ish he helps yeah. control yeah. so they the southern lords want the emperor to be free of control so that they can now control this puppet emperor so we get to the emperor's palace in all of this turmoil the southern lords are now here in his in his face and we've got this puppet is getting bigger this little boy puppet is getting bigger and he's very still very quiet and his arms are out and these southern lords are literally controlling his hands here. And this is the coolest part of the show, y'all. I love this. This puppet dislodges from the southern lord, starts to freaking move on its own. Uh. And realize it's no longer a puppet. This is a person with a mask on that can be taken off. Pinocchio, you're a real boy. Exactly, you're a real boy. He literally said, no more, you cannot control me. Stop controlling me. Because the Southern Lords, while they're still puppeting him, are whispering in his ear, hey, you need to kill the Westerners. We're going to kill the Westerners. Kill them all. And kill the foreigners. And he dislodges from them and says, fuck all of you. I'm the emperor. I'm going to make the decisions. And he declares real power. He declares power. And uh, also declares that Japan will modernize itself and accept this westernization. And at this point, the mask comes off of the emperor, and it's the narrator. It's the reciter. reciter. So he takes off his mask. It's the emperor. The emperor is the reciter. So you can go back and say, like, that screaming that was happening because one of his people died. It could it could be that you know when she commits uh, when she commits seppuku it's literally the emperor being upset and sad that one of his people is hurt and dying he's, he wants he wants peace amongst everybody in his nations or you could go and say he's he's the reciter he can be a part of anything he's inner thoughts so there's I mean <laughs> sometimes going uh-huh. Everything, all wrapped into one. Yep. Now the country is moving into uh, innovation in the song "Neck." We're we're building, we're westernizing, things are happening. We're we're getting. He says, "No more ancient traditions, no more of those old haikus," and it becomes like I wrote '70s disco combined with Japanese music, West Side Story. <laughs> West Side Story-esque dance at the end. It's oh my God. Game. They're a pelvic thrust. Streets are roaring, overspilling, next. Old is boring, new is thrilling, keep exploring, next. 
within this 70s disco inferno in Japan with West Side Story influences. Everybody's talking about the next thing that's coming out and the next and the next and these clo- the clothes and the dancing and the music and the, the innovation happening. And then... <laughs> And they talk about, at the end, the air pollution and the market domination and all of the accomplishments that were listed before are all of a sudden just like thrown out the window because they're like, hey, also this bad shit happens. And at the end, there's females in the show full on dancing in costumes, but everybody is now in westernized costuming, which makes sense because women are more accepted on the stage, uh, westernized at this at this point in time. So now on the on this Japanese stage, there are now women and they're dancing and they're singing and they're they're being thrown around in the air. And I'm like, all the ladies came out only at the end. Cool. Good. Good. Great. And then we end with the reciter saying, Nippon, the floating kingdom. There was a time when foreigners were not welcome here. But that was a long ago. Welcome to Japan. And we're done. And that's the show. Wow. Wow. Applause, applause, applause. That's a show and a half. I'm like, <laughs> this is gonna be a bitch to edit. Have fun. <laughs> Sorry. I feel <laughs> like no, no, it's great. <laughs> Tell us what are the rights for the show? <laughs> Sure. So on our show, we like to look to see where you can get the rights just in case someone wants to perform this show. So if you want to perform this show, you can get the rights at MTI shows, which is where you get a lot of them. Uh, We always look at certain metrics. So we always base it on a hundred seat house uh, with tickets that range from 20 to $50 in 16 performances, because that seems to be pretty average. So the cost, uh, the estimate that they gave was $6,503 to $8,798, which is on the... Yeah, it's probably like yeah. in the ballpark of where most of our shows land. Yeah. I want to see a real, a real production. I, I mean, I want to see a live production when live productions happen one day. I would love um, to as well. Yeah, I'd like to be in it. Because um, who would I, you play? You know, I'll just take any role. But I'd like to play uh, either the reciter, <laughs> but that's up there. But probably uh, Kayama. Yeah. If any theaters do want to do this show, when it was first being written and produced and choreographed and all of that being put up on stage, there was a. A man was hired, his name is Haruki Fujimoto, who was the kabuki consultant. So I would definitely have yourself a kabuki consultant. Absolutely. Especially if your director, choreographer is not enlightened. Sure. Woke. <laughs> that word. Woke. Woke. <laughs> you should definitely only do this show if you have everything lined up and if you have the proper resources. And I'm not talking yes. resources like you need a huge budget for your set. Like you can go minimalist, you can go crazy, huge high budget like Broadway. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't be, uh, you know, scared by that. Right. Well, I'm like time to wrap it up. <laughs> oh my gosh, everyone take a drink. Uh, that, was, that was the adventure. Yay. Yay, we got through it.
it. All right. We're so excited that y'all were able to join us tonight. We also would like to thank our patrons who put up with our, our shit often as well. And Jen and Micah, you only had to put up with it this, this tonight, but our patrons are all the time. Um, so that is Noah, Sydney, Brandon, Allison, Mama Hardy, Marma Keen, Mama Lang, and Andy. Yeah. Hey, patrons. We love you. If you want to join them and hear uh, Mikey's one more story. <laughs> and you do. And you do. And trust you, me. do. you do. You can join our patrons at www.patreon.com slash wines and dolls tiers starting at two dollars and going all the way up to 20 and more if you feel like it so we are accepting listener stories our listener soda is coming up soon on monday so you have a story please submit it by emailing wines and dolls at gmail.com or submitting it uh, via our link in bio if you enjoyed this episode please go ahead and press subscribe anywhere you're listening to your podcast to never miss an episode and Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Leave us a little note. We love them. If you felt like you had a four or less star experience, please email us at winesanddolls at gmail.com. Thank you. <laughs> and if you would like to find us on the social medias, you can find us at Wines and Dolls on all the social media. All and how do, we find, how do we find Buried Broadway on the socials? Well, we are on Instagram at Buried Broadway, and we also have a Facebook page, same name, Buried Broadway. Or you could visit our website, which is beverelli.com. If you want to get in touch, just follow this address. It's B-E-V-A-R-E-L-L-I dot com. Y'all are adorable. <laughs> they write all their own jingles. So please go subscribe to their podcast. What platforms can they find you on? Right now we are on iTunes, Stitcher, and you can go to our website and stream from there. And we're on Podbean. And I found us on Podbay as well. We don't know how we got there, but we're yeah. happy to be there. So please go subscribe to them to never miss an episode. And with that, I'm Chelsea. I'm Emily. And, and we're, we're the, the Beverellis from Buried Broadway. <laughs> and this is the Wines and Dolls. Woo! Happy